Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome our Gulf Coast campus joining us live, our South Shore Orleans Justice Center, our online campus, and here at Little Creek to the sixth and final week of our series entitled When Life Hurts. Come on, can we just welcome all of our campuses right now joining us? You know, together we have been studying the last six weeks, we've been studying the last statements that Jesus made from the cross, seven of the last statements that Jesus made. I do want to say, again, I'm very excited about next weekend uh, for Easter. Uh, we are asking everybody to think about inviting a friend. Just invite a family member, a friend. After Easter, the week following, I'm doing a four-week series. Uh, I've never done this series before, and it's, it's going to be called Trapped. What do you do when you feel trapped in life, whether it's through a, an addictive behavior, what do you do when you feel like circumstances have you hemmed in? H how do you respond? Is there any prescription in the Bible where God tells us how we can, quote, be delivered from traps? So I want to, be talk I want to talk to you about that uh, the next week and the next four weeks, starting after Easter. Today I want to finish up our series talking about famous last words. Interestingly enough, uh, as a man, I was putting this together, I was thinking about some of the men uh, that made famous last words. Uh, they were unwise words, which is why they were the last. Another one, number one, let me just share one. Here, here's a famous unwise last word from a man. I've never tried this chainsaw before, but what could go wrong? That's unwise. Here's, here's another guy one time who asked this. He asked a woman, very unwise, how, 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 long, how long have you been pregnant? She wasn't pregnant. How many you know that was his last breath on this earth? But anyway, so here, here's another one. This is a famous unwise last word. Hey, I know that I'm not an electrician, but how hard would it be to change my breaker behind my house? Not, not, not smart at all. This was the most common phrase unwise men could. Here it is. Here it is. Honey, watch this. And I had a brother, an older brother growing up. And whenever he had to watch this moment, let me tell you, we would just do anything crazy, stupid, and not smart. Those are, those are famous last words. Interestingly enough, I've had, I could say it this way, I guess you'd say the privilege, but also the responsibility of being in the room with people at their last moments on this earth. And let me tell you something. When people say their last words, let me give you one word that does not mark their, la their last moments, trivial. Because, because the reality is, I mean, they've gathered family members. You guys have been there. Some of you have experienced this. You've gathered family members and people around and whether it's a grandma, a dad, a mom, or somebody, and, and, and they're, listen, very, very important. That's what we've been looking at. We've been studying in the Gospels the last six weeks, finishing today. We've been looking at the last words that Jesus uttered as he was dying on the cross. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 23, and I want to look at uh, one of the other last words. Ironically, I could have started with this message, but I'm ending with it, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Luke chapter 23, verse 32 and 33. I'm going back, giving you a little bit of context again. We spoke about this scenario the first week. 
very, very, uh, 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 just depicting this example, very interesting. Again, two other men. There was not just one person being crucified. There's actually three. Jesus was in the middle. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him, that's Jesus, to be executed. Verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him, Jesus, there, along with the criminals, watch this, one on the right and one on the left. If you weren't here the first week, and I just want to say to all those of you joining us, you can go online and always look online. If you ever miss one of the messages, of course, we give the CDs away free at our campuses, but... Week one, I talked about there was an interchange and a dialogue between the different criminals. And, and, and the one criminal was, in essence, saying, if you really are the Son of God, get us down talking to Jesus. Why don't you get us down from this cross? The other criminal basically was rebuking this criminal, saying, hey, man, be quiet. This guy's done nothing wrong. We're dying justly. And it was that moment when Jesus looked at the one that was repenting and said, today. Everybody say, Today. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. This whole series has been about you, the, taking these last words that Jesus uttered from the cross and how they apply to us to help us through a bad day. How do these words apply to us today to help us when life hurts? Because let me tell you something, life is going to hurt at different points. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What does that mean? Listen. It brings assurance to us, regardless of what hell we may be going through, this life is only temporary. Today I want to talk to you about some very important words that Jesus utters from the cross. I want to talk to you today about what we can do when life is hurting, what we can say when life is hurting, how we can respond. And I want to talk to you today about the power, the power of forgiveness. Interestingly enough, when you look at and study, again, I don't have time to go back and teach the last um, six weeks, but, but who Jesus is and what, what he did when he was on this earth, the amazing, the magnificent power. That, it, it was just amazing what he did, how he loved people, and how he cared for people, and, and how he healed people. He would, he would take his hands and often lay his hands upon the sick, and, and, and the sick would, 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 would recover supernaturally, miraculously. By, by the way, Church of the King, we, we believe that Jesus is still healing people today. Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want, I want you to know that. We don't believe this just kind of died 2,000 years ago. We believe if Jesus healed, then Jesus will heal today. But he not only heals, he was also casting out demons. It's just amazing. I mean, let me tell you, if you were demon-possessed, don't get around Jesus unless you want to get free. I mean, he's casting out demons, and it was just, a, just awesome to be able to see whether he's driving demons off of people, whether they were possessed, oppressed, deep, whatever they were, demons were leaving, all right, off of people. So he was healing people, delivering people. Uh, don't, don't invite Jesus, by the way, to a funeral either. He will mess it up. <laughs> Raise people from the dead. I mean, people jumping out of the back of the hearse. I'm alive, you know what I'm saying? Well, there must be that Jewish guy around here somewhere. I'm just telling you. Jesus was always doing amazing things to help people, whether he's teaching one day and it's late in the day and he tells the disciples, go get some food. They go, there's no Popeye's close. He goes, anybody have a lunch here? A little boy came up with some speckled trout and French bread and he multiplied them. Boom, 5,000 men were fed. What could have been up to 20 or 25,000 people. 
So whether he's feeding people, whether he's healing people, whether he's delivering people, whether he's casting out, I mean, listen, Jesus was doing good everywhere. Helping people, cleansing people, forgiving people, restoring people. Awesome. I mean, absolutely awesome. Notice what he wasn't doing. He wasn't lying, cheating, stealing. He wasn't doing anything that these two guys were doing. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what the two criminals were doing, but we do know this. They had done something, they had been convicted, and they were dying. They were being crucified. Conversely, even though Jesus didn't do anything wrong other than fulfilling God's will, <laughs> he was dying with them as a guilty man. As a one, in other words, he was, he was enduring the penalty that these guys that had done something wrong, he was dying the same way. You ever thought about that? He was betrayed, although he had done nothing wrong. He was accused, although he had done nothing wrong. He was held in contempt. My, again, we just had communion as a church family, and, 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 and we did that together, the Last Supper, and then afterwards, what happened? He went out to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. Do you remember that? He brought Peter, James, and John. Could you not tarry with me one hour? And the Bible says that sweat as drops of blood was falling off of his head. And what happened? In comes Judas and the soldiers. Judas sold him for how much? 30 pieces of silver. He then goes to Caiaphas' house, and he has this, this mock trial, and he's declared guilty for, for treason against the high... Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what did he do? And then, and then there's another Jewish trial, and then there's Roman trials, all the way until the very breaking of the dawn. You, you saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, or you read it in the gospel. Pontius Pilate himself said, this man has done nothing wrong. And yet... And yet there, there was an opportunity to release... There was a custom, a Roman custom to release one criminal, and they released that morning the mob. By the way, which I'm sure some of the people that were shouting, Hosanna, on Sunday, were now sh shouting Friday morning, crucify him. Wow. Can you imagine that? I recognize that. Wait a minute, that's the guy. That, that's the one that was, he was throwing down the branch in his clothes, and he was saying, Hosanna, what changed? How can you praise me one minute and going to crucify me the next? That's, that's, that's in the Bible. Oh, my gosh. He, 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 had, he had done nothing wrong. Falsely accused and tried and condemned. The creation mocking the creator. The Bible actually says in the Old Testament... That his body was so marred, it was so marred, you could actually see part of his organs. He was, he was, the, the, the Bible talks about convict, con, he was, he was so, he was so marred in his, in his figure, his, his, his body. Remember this, it, it wasn't just the crucifixion, prior to the crucifixion, it was 39 stripes. The 39 whips on the back, it was the cat, a cat of nine tails. There was nine parts with metal and glass and all that extending out from the whip that was hitting him on his back. So that's like 360 lashes on his back. Then he's nailed to the cross and then he hangs on the cross for six hours. The Roman soldiers often had these big rings and, and they took him, do you remember that? And they punched him in his face. Prophesy to us if you're the king. Prophesy. Mocking him. 
So he's punched in the face, he's mocked, he's falsely accused, he's whipped, he's crucified. And you would think that at any moment that Jesus would have said something, retaliated some way, said something. I mean, it's something of, hey, you got the wrong guy. Hey, I'm doing this for you guys. You'd have thought. I mean, if I would have been there, I would have leaned in a little bit. Of course, all the 11 disciples. Judas, of course, is out of the picture. The other 10 have run. Only John's there. Only one from a small group. Only one showed up. I would think at some level, shouldn't he defend himself? Like, this guy, I know what he did in this guy, but, but what about me? You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like you wanted to defend yourself? See, it's one thing to be accused when you know you've done something wrong. Basically, you're caught, okay? But it's a whole nother thing when you're being accused, when you know that you're innocent. And you're thinking, what? And yet, you're experiencing all this actually worse judgment. What would you say? You ever been falsely accused before? That thing inside of our flesh, we want to rise up. It's just, wait, 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 wait. He's about to talk. He's about to utter his first word. Let's lean in just a little bit. Let's, let's, let's press in just a little bit. What's he going to say? What's he, gonna, he could do anything. The Bible says he could have called down a legion of angels. 10, 000, a, 10, a Roman legion is 10,000. I mean, he could have called down 10,000 angels to get him off the cross. Let's lean in to hear what he says. What's he going to say? He's going to pronounce judgment. Is that what he's going to do? Retaliation. I don't think so. Luke chapter 23. The very first words that he says hanging on the cross. Nine o'clock in the morning. Remember, he hangs till, six, uh, till three o'clock in the afternoon, six hours. Last words, it is finished. First words. First words. You guys ready? Looking at all the people that put him on the cross. All the people, half of which were declaring Hosanna earlier. In the week. Wow. Father. First words from the cross. Father. Everybody say it what? Forgive them. Forgive them. Not Father, wipe them out. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Oh, wow. Wow. I think there is a significance to what Jesus prayed, there is a significance to what he said on the cross. I, I want to take our remaining time. I want to do a couple things. Number one, I want to look at what I believe are three significant things about his prayer. And then in the back end, I want to talk about what can we practically do. By the way, if you come to Church of the King, it's real simple. Every week when I teach, there's something I want you to know. And number two, there's something I want you to do. Matter of fact, I think there's something that God wants us to know, all right, as we open his word. But then what is the application? In other words, it's not just knowledge, but it's application. It's not just what I know, what I've learned at church. It's here's what I've learned at church, and here's what I need to do after church. 
Does that make sense? Here's what I need to do on Monday. Here's what I've learned, but here's what I've got I've to do it. Because if I just have knowledge, but I don't have application, it just puffs me up. Does that make sense? Okay. Number one, what are the three things that I've learned from the significance of Jesus's prayer? Number one, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Now, if you weren't here last week, again, all of our messages are online. I taught for 10 minutes on the on, on, on fulfillment of prophecy. What does that mean? <clears throat> in the Old Testament, there are 380 verses in the Old Testament which are called Messianic, Messiah, Messianic prophecies. Scripture in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before the cross, <clears throat> speaking of his birth, Micah, he says he was going to come from Bethlehem, speaking of his birth, life, death, and resurrection. So there's 380 verses. One of the verses, one of the verses that I would call a messianic prophecy, that he basically declares one of the verses in this prayer. What do you mean, pastor? Let me show you. Isaiah, watch this. And he poured out his life unto death. Is he dying on the cross, yes or no? Yes. It's not a trick question. Is he dying on the cross, yes or no? Yes. This is written 700 years before the cross. <clears throat> 700 years. He poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Are there criminals on the right and the left of him? The answer is yes. He was numbered with the criminals, with the sinners. Right there, all right? He bore the sin of many. In other words, he wasn't just boring the sin, bearing the sin of those in front of him or those on the right line, but he was bearing your sin and my sin so, so, so that we can be forgiven. There's a transcendent nature to this so that we can be forgiven. So that we can, it wasn't just for those people that were there, but he died for the sins of the world. This is so powerful. He bore the sin of many and here it is. You may want to write this if you have your Bible. And he made, what's this word say it? Intercession for the sinners. What does the word intercession mean? He prayed. He prayed. So when he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive him, what is he doing? He's praying to the Father a prayer for those that have put him on the cross. What was he doing? He was interceding for them. Number one, his prayer on the cross was a, it was a verification. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a stamp that, that, yes, the Bible is real. There's a veracity. There's a truthfulness to Scripture, something that was said in the Old Testament. He's praying for his persecutors. He's praying for his, his, the ones that put him on the cross. Wow. Second thing that we learn from this is that Jesus modeled the importance of prayer. He modeled the importance of prayer. What was the first? Listen, I, matter of fact, I never forget my very first sermon that I ever preached. I'd been a Christian for 15 months, and I was asked by my singles pastor at the time, I was 20, I turned 20 in December, this would have been the spring, and I was a sophomore in college, yeah, and I was asked if I would speak at this singles gathering. So, so I had my yellow pad, y'all remember the yellow pads? <clears throat> I still have them, they're anointed. These yellow pads, I'm just telling you, technology's overrated. But anyway, so here's, here's the title. Y'all ready? Here's the title of Pastor Steve's first sermon I ever preached. You guys ready? Here it is. Seeking, knowing, and fulfilling the plan and purpose of God for your life. That was deep, wasn't it? Wasn't that heavy? Listen, it was like a whole page, just the title. 
Matter of fact, those of you that were in the church early on, you know, early 17, 18 years ago at church, I would have long titles, long series. Yeah, now it's not cool. It's not like in to do long stuff. Now it's like, we're, today we're going to talk about plan. Yeah, it's just like the one word deal. You know, well, not back then. I mean, I had the whole thing, baby. I mean, I'm just working the whole deal. Jeremiah 20. So, so as a preacher, you remember what your first message is. And it's kind of like your, it's kind of like your calling card. It's like, this is what I, you know, I feel God's given me. I know we're supposed to preach the whole Bible, but this is what I'm real passionate about. Can I ask you this? What was the thing that was deeply passionate about Jesus? On the Sermon on the Mount, he said a whole bunch of things. But let me tell you, he gave us something that we've been praying for 2,000 years. Watch this in Matthew chapter 6. Let me show you what he felt was of utmost importance. This is then how you should, everybody say it, pray. The very first sermon Jesus ever taught, the Sermon on the Mount, he taught him how to pray. Prayer is a big thing to Jesus. Prayer is not, watch this, prayer is not a secondary resource, it's a first action. It's not, I tried everything else, Maybe I'll try Jesus. No, no, it's not. It's not, well, let's just exhaust all of our other means. Oh, oh, well, let's, let's pray. No, he was teaching his very first sermon. It's a big deal for a preacher, man. <laughs> first sermon. Right out the gate, prayer. What was the last thing that he did? Very first message was on prayer. The last thing that he did on earth. Father, who's he talking to? God the Father. What's that call? Everybody say it. Prayer. He was praying. I think it's something unique about this with, with prayer. I think it speaks of a couple things. Number one, who was he praying for? He was praying for people that put him on the cross. He was praying for people that were away from God. He, he was praying for people. And by the way, he believed in the power of prayer. And he believed that God the Father would hear his prayers. He was praying for those that were away from God. Let me tell you something. Let, let me just help everybody. God loves prayer and God answers prayer and there's no prayer that you ever pray that, 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 that goes unheard by God. I'm telling you, whether it's help or it's an intercessory prayer, you're putting a name in there, Lord, bless this, help this person. Let me just tell you this. This is so important. I think we give up on people too quick because we don't see the answer to our prayers in like 24 hours. I'm telling you. Listen, how many parents were praying for their kids, but they gave up? And then you start cursing your prayers. You start, let me tell you, every prayer is a seed that you're sending out. You're sending a prayer out. It's a seed that's going out, but a seed's got to go into the ground. It looks like it dies, but then it has a seedling, and then it comes forth. Listen to me closely. Don't give up on your prayers. Don't give up on your son. Don't give up on your daughter. My parents didn't give up on me. They kept praying for me and praying for me and believing God for me. Where was I this week? This week, I had a, I, where was I this week? I'm too young for this. <laughs> Somebody under 40, pray for me right now. I, <laughs> this lady came up, to, I was with my wife on Monday. I was with my wife. We were on a date and, and this lady, it came up to me. She goes, pastor, oh, pray for my daughter. She said, pray for my daughter. And she went through this whole thing. You may be here to this morning. I think everything was on Monday. And, and, and she said, please pray for my daughter. She goes, I know. Listen to me. She said, I know how your mom prayed for you. I know how your dad prayed for you. 
She goes, I believe that God answers our prayer. Would you just, would you just pray with me? Listen to me closely. Jesus prayed for those that are far away from God. Every prayer you pray is a seed. Don't curse your prayer just because you don't see it answered the first day. Things are moving. Things are happening. Are you all with me? Things are happening. I'll tell you something else encouraging about this and another encouraging thought if you fast forward 50 days. Remember, Good Friday, Jesus, is di Jesus dies. 50 days later is, anybody know what happened 50 days later? The Jewish calendar, Passover, and then 50 days later is Pentecost, Penta, five, a pentagram, those five things, it's Penta. It's one, two, three, four, five. Pentecost means 50. 50 days, five. 50 days pass. Well, what happened? The Holy Spirit's poured out. Don't get freaked out. I said pentagram. I shouldn't use that word in church. But anyway, so <laughs> better analogy. But anyway, the point is, here's the point. Holy Spirit was poured out. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. Peter preached. 3,000 people got saved. Some of the people that God saved were in the crowd and heard Jesus pray. Some of those people. Some of those people were so convicted that their sin put Christ on the cross that when Peter preached, their hearts were broken open. Listen to me closely. I'm telling you, God's, your prayers to God, I'm telling you, you don't realize it. I'm telling you, people that get saved today are a harvest of your prayers or somebody else's prayers yesterday. I'm telling you, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. How many of you had a grandma that prayed for you? You had a grandpa that prayed for you. You had an uncle. You had an aunt. You had somebody bring you to Sunday school. Somebody bring you to vacation Bible school. You've been far away from God. But it was some neighbor. Somebody did something for you. Jesus prayed. Everybody say, Jesus prayed. Jesus. Number three, the third thing that this shows me is Jesus revealed man's greatest need. <clears throat> so number one, it fulfilled prophecy. When he prayed that, pray, Father, forgive him. Number two, it, it not only fulfilled prophecy, but it, but it also modeled the importance of prayer. Right at the end, the beginning, and at the end, he was doing the thing that he told us to do. But it also modeled the importance of our greatest need. What is our need? Let me just clarify something. Let me tell you what I believe at Church of the King. I believe the Bible teaches. We believe that Jesus is a healer. We believe that Jesus delivers people. We believe that Jesus supernaturally provides for people. Miracles. We believe that. We believe God does miracles. But listen to me. Listen. Everybody look at me. But that's not your greatest need externally. Your greatest need is not for your body to be healed, although we believe God does that. It's not for God to provide financially, although we believe God does that. Don't misunderstand me. Your greatest need and my greatest need is to be first forgiven of our sin. Because that's the foundation. And that's what he demonstrated right here. Matthew chapter 26, 28. Watch this. This is how, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for men. He's dying on the cross. Listen. For the what? What's the whole point of the blood of the cross? What's the what? For the what? Everybody say it. The. Now it doesn't end there, but it begins there. It's our first need. It's not our only need, but it's our first and primary need. Our sins forgiven, our sins being right with God, where we can come into the presence of God. Listen to me closely. The moment you confess your sin to God and you trust Christ your Savior, the Bible says you can come boldly into the throne room of God. And you can receive grace. Not just the pastor, not just the priest, not just the whole. No, 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 no. You can approach God. You can come into the throne room of God because of the forgiveness of your sin. Are you with me? 
This is so important that you get this. I don't have to go there for you. You go because of the blood of Christ. So your greatest need is, is the forgiveness of sin. I, 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 began to, I began to think about this. and The second part of, the second part of go, 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 Father, forgive them. But watch the second part of this. I want to I highlight this. I got about 10 minutes and I'm going to be closing. Please stay with me. This is going to help you guys so much. I'm going to do my best. All right? Father, greatest need, forgive them, comma, for they don't know, they don't even know what they're doing. Let me ask you a question. Does ignorance equal innocence? It doesn't. Let me ask you it this way. When you don't realize you've hurt somebody, does it minimize the impact in their life? No, not at all. Why, why is it that Jesus, when he was walking the earth, why is it that Jesus was healing people and he was forgiving people? When he was on the earth, now he's hanging above heaven and earth. He's above earth, right? He's on the cross. Why is it that he would forgive people of their sin? Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Why is it that he would personally do that and say that? And now, and now he's, and now instead of him personally saying, he's praying it to the Father. Why is that? I think part of it is, part of it is, is because there's this caveat that's attached to it that he wanted to model to us. A, talking to the Father, but number two is that this was so important related to content because he wanted to show that when people are sinning, often they don't even realize the impact of their sin. How we look at people, how people, what we do to people, what people do to us. Fact is, if I knew the impact of my words and my actions, I would change some things. And so would you. You think about it, you think about what takes place in relationships, how deeply wounded some people get in relationships. You think, you think about marriage today. You think about the shrapnel, that our words, we get in the flesh, we get upset, we say something, and, and we don't realize the depth of the pain of those words. I'll say this very respectfully. Some of you ladies, you'll... You, apart from a, the miracle of God, which God can do, you'll never open your heart up again because of the abuse that you've experienced in a relationship. Some of you guys, you'll never trust again because of the betrayal that you felt without the grace of God. God can do it. Why? Because of the injury. But I guarantee you the person, when they were doing that, they weren't fully cognizant of the impact of their action and words. We're not. And that's what Jesus was saying. Do you think for a moment that those people fully understood that they just nailed the Messiah to the cross? The one that was actually dying for them. They didn't get the whole impact. And neither do we. I don't get the whole impact at times. And yet we see the shrapnel of it, the collateral damage, the collateral fallout. What does that mean? A collection of fall. It's compounded. Oh, man. If we really understood, if we really understood the impact of our words and our actions, I think we would live circumspectly at a different level. Than I, and, and let me just tell you, nobody's perfect. No way, no way, no. I know I'm not. 
But if we really understood, in, in, whether it was in church or our family or our culture, our business, our words, the different things that we do and say, and my heavens, I think we would, we would, I think we'd live differently. And yet, people hurt us and, and we hurt them. Does the guy that drinks some beer and some alcohol, which is all right, but does he realize when it, when it moves into alcoholism, how it disconnects him emotionally from everybody in the family? So the person that's in the family that needs a dad or a mom to love them, they're disconnected. Do you really think, do, I, do you really think they understand and have thought through the full impact of that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Maybe now after telling you, they're, they're needing something, ma'am, and sir, from you. Let's get some help. How about the person with the, the sexual addiction or the pornography addiction? They, 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 they think it's cool at first and it gives you a little, te, a little neuro spin, and then, and, but then you get hooked and so then you start feeling dirty and guilty. You walk around the house, you can't connect and have normal intimacy. Do I think that that person knew exactly what they were gonna go through when they entered into that? No, I don't. But now they're on a trail and a pathway. Oh man, they gotta get off of it. Do I think that Every pastor that's blown it, made dumb decisions, do I think that they have thought through the whole impact of shattering thousands of people's lives in the church? No, I don't. I know that for a fact because I've talked to pastors that have messed up. What was I thinking? You weren't. And neither were you when you did your things. That's why. <laughs> when we relate to other people, let me just tell you something. I'm telling you, most of the time, they don't realize what they're doing. Pastor, what do I do with this? My gosh, this is heavy. It's heavy, but it's real. Because some of us are walking around with so much jadedness on the inside of us, and there's so much hurt on the inside of us, and we are holding people in 100% contempt because we believe they knew exactly what they were doing, when they were doing it. Friends, let me tell you, hurt people hurt people. Messed up people mess up people. Are you with me? And all of us are a little bit of a mess. Pastor, what do I do? Here it is. Number one, because I got to get out of this, Pastor. I, I, I don't want to have this. I, I don't want to have this on the inside of me. What do I do? Pray for those who, everybody say it, hurt you. I'll tell you what I'll pray. I'll pray Jesus kill them. <laughs> Am I the only honest person in the place? I mean, I, look, look, look what the scripture says right here. Smite him, oh, you mighty smiter. Here it is. Y'all ready? Here it is. This is in the Bible. Pastor, here's what I want you to know. Now, here's what I want you to do. Number one, if we are going to get through a bad day, sometimes our bad days is we're so janked up in our soul because people have done stuff to us, whether knowingly or unknowingly, but we are, we're stuck. We're stuck. Number one, bless. Everybody say bless. Bless, bless those who... Uh-oh, that's not in the Bible. That curse you. No, I'm going to bless those that bless me. I'm going to high-five those who high-five me. I'm not going to high-five those that shoot the bird at me. Are y'all with me? Bless those who curse you. Y'all, y'all, look up here. All of our campuses. Look, look, listen, listen. I'm really trying because I really want to help you. Okay? We're all getting help from God's word right here. The closer somebody is to you, the more it's painful when they hurt you. You know that. I mean, somebody's in the car, they drive by, they crush you out. You're like, that dude's nuts. 
Okay? Somebody curses you out, okay? And you, real, and you realize that's your husband. You're like, whoa, we're in trouble. What's the difference? The proximity of relationship. We get hurt by that. We don't get hurt by somebody that doesn't know us. That's what was so painful for Jesus. He knew these guys. He knew these people. So, so we got to bless those who curse us, and we got to pray for the, okay, okay we got we oh, all our campuses, we got we to do this. Thing. If we will learn this one biblical skill, I'm telling you, your life and my life will take off in a whole new direction. This is big, guys. This is massive, what I'm teaching you today. If we will bless those who curse us, and if we will pray for those who, the count of three, we're going to say these next three words. Ready? One, two, three. Spitefully use us. Why does God put that stuff in his book? Are you serious, pastor? I got to pray for those that curse me. I got to bless those. That, I'll forgive them, but I'm not forgetting. You ever heard that? And yet people, let me tell you, cancer is horrific. I understand that physiologically. I understand, and I pray, and God is touching. I know we have some people in our church with cancer, and we're believing God, and we're doing everything medically and everything spiritually, and I understand that. But can I tell you something? Sometimes that's a lot easier to identify the cancer in the body versus the cancer of the soul. And the cancer of the soul is bitterness. There, there was a guy that got bit by a dog who had rabies, and he goes into the doctor. And he says, Doc, he says, I'm in trouble. And the doc goes, why you waited so long? I'm, I got some bad news. What's that? He goes, you're going to die, man. This thing is way past you. Why didn't you come? The guy starts crying. He's, you know, finally he works through his emotions and he has a list. And he starts writing down these names. The doc says, what are you going to do? Are you, why, why do you have these names? Are you going to bequeath your possessions and give your possession? He goes, no, I'm not doing that. Those are my enemies. I've got rabies. I'm going out to bite them. <laughs> That's how some people are. You would think at the end, man, they're ready to get freed, right? No, baby, they're bringing this thing all the way to the end. That bitterness is going with them in that coffin. Let's not be a people like that. I, 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 I don't want that in my life. I, I don't want that around me. I had to work through something in my life. I had a tough relationship. I, you know, my dad, my stepdad raised me. Since I was four, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, but my real dad was an alcoholic. And uh, he was in and out of our lives and depending upon whether he was drunk or not, whether, whether he was in relationship, drunk or drugs. And he was functional. He was a professional person. And, and I, when I gave my heart to Christ when I was a freshman in college, interestingly enough, he came back in our life during that time. And said horrific things to me. Now, I don't want you to get a small violin out. Everybody's gone through stuff. You've probably gone through worse. But everybody's pain is relative. Isn't that right? And I'm going to tell you, the stuff that he said to me, it, just, it was just the accusations. He'd call me drunk. And I'd, and I'd be like, oh, gosh. you know. And I'd be like, well, I, I need to pray for my dad. I, I want him to get saved. And I want him to die and go to hell. But what am I supposed to do? And, and he's drunk, and I know that I'm going to be the end of this. And my brother, my brother wouldn't even talk to him. And yet he thought my brother was here. My brother would cut him. I wouldn't even talk to him. I'm the one, I'm the one talking to him. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I the end of your attack? Because we always attack those that we're closest to. Are you with me? And so I'm in this situation, and I, and I, and my, and I start dying on the inside. And finally, 
I, I began to realize that I had so much stuff on the inside of me. And let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's unhealthy to have boundaries with people that are attacking you, okay? I want to say that because there's, there's right boundaries. But I am saying that we can't have bitterness in our hearts, unforgiveness. My dad was, he grew up in an orphanage, abused his whole entire life as a kid. Everybody in his life committed suicide as a young boy. Do you think that I, do you, do, he didn't know how to be a dad. He didn't know how to, I, I'll never forget when it hit me. He, he couldn't give me what he didn't have himself. See, you are injured to the degree that you perceive that person as Lord over your life. There's only one Lord over your life. His name is Jesus. Are y'all with me? There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. And I remember I had to release him. I had to forgive him. There are people, listen to me closely as your pastor, man, I am, I'm really trying today. Listen, some of you have been stuck for years. And you're stuck because you're, you're stuck in, in unforgiveness. You're stuck. In your, and what, what it does is it, it keeps you stuck to the past. God doesn't want anything holding you down, but he wants you to, to move into the future with faith. Let, let me give you this last thing. So number one, everybody say pray for those who curse you. So I'm going to pray for those who curse. I'm going to pray a blessing over them. I'm not going to pray God curses them. I'm going to pray a blessing. Number two, and I'll close with this. Please give me three minutes, all right? I'm, I'm going to let you out of here right on time. Just, just work with me, all right? Pray for reconciliation. Now I'm going to give some qualifications. Now listen to me. Pray for reconciliation. What I mean by reconciliation is it may not be like it was on the front end. You may not have, it may shift and change a little bit. I'm not saying that we don't have healthy boundaries up with those that are attacking us, but I am saying as much as it depends upon us, it is incumbent upon us to at least make an attempt to try to reconcile. Now listen to what I'm about to say. This is so important. I'm gonna read one more scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. Paul told the Romans, remember, and by the way, remember the Romans worshiped the false God of revenge. That's why this is important. That's why this makes sense. Right here. Last scripture, Romans chapter 12. Do not repair, repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it's possible. Onus, responsibility. Look where it shifted to. If it's possible, as far as it depends on us. I can't control my neighbor. I can't control my sibling's reaction. I can't control the, my ex's reaction. I can't control my, the business partner that ripped me off. I can't control, I can't control, but I can control what I do. I can control my action and my reaction. As much as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. Try it. There's a, there's, a, there's a responsibility that I've got to have. I'll close with this story. My, my best friend growing up, Robbie, he invited me to his wedding. I was 26 when I got married in 95. In 2005, he was 36 when he was getting married. His first marriage, and he was really excited about it. He said, Steve, I want you to come. And, you know, and um, I wasn't super close to him. I kind of went in a ministry route, and we had some separation. But we were buddies since I was nine. 
couple months before Katrina in July of 2005, he invited me. He was down in New Orleans, and I was preaching on Saturday night, Church of the King. I, I, I was a pastor. And I, and I remember telling him, I said, Rob, I'd love to come, but I just, I can't. You know, so short-sighted at the time. I thought, you know, I need to be at church. I need to preach. And it's my best friend. And I didn't go. Of course, Katrina happens, and everybody's world in this region has shifted and changed. And he, I really hurt him. I really hurt him. A couple years later, I found out from a friend that, you know, Rob had been hurt by me. So my, as a Christian, I'm like, well, I got to do something. I got to try to figure something out. I said, but oh, I don't have his number. Are you kidding me? What a cop out. We can Google Earth and look at how many hairs you lost last year. <laughs> you lost about 12. I mean, you, you tell me we can't get a number. Five years after that, which would now have been two years ago, all right? We're talking now, this, is, this would have been 15, 10 years after this hurt, all right? But I'd known about it for six, seven years. My son's playing lacrosse in ninth grade, and this, this friend, his buddy, I'm talking to his dad. My son's friend's playing, my son's playing, and I'm talking to this dad. And we start up a conversation. He goes, yeah, I, 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 where I grew up, and, and Rob came back. He goes, oh, I know Rob. Oh, yeah. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, hey, matter of fact, I got a cell number. You want to call him? I'm like, I got to call him. This is God. Maybe it's the devil. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we do that? I called Rob. I said, Rob, I'm just going to say this. Not, I was busy. Rob, I'm sorry. I apologize, man. I, I mean, you know, I blew it. I was short-sighted. I, I'm so sorry. He forgave me. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. The issue is not what Rob did. The issue is what I did. Are you with me? Some of you, this is Holy Week, one of the most holy weeks, the most holy week for the Christian in the church calendar. Some of you are going to have to make some calls. Some of you are going to have to write an email. Some of you are going to, I'm just telling you, there's some Robs in your world. There's some robs in your world. We're not going to focus on their response. We're going to focus on our responsibility. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can we stand? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of each one of those here, every man and woman. If you're in this place, you don't know Christ, our altar is going to be open right afterwards. We'd love to pray. We'd love to minister to you about anything. But I believe the Holy Spirit is here and dealing with our hearts. Some of you have been stuck in the past for years, and I say this so respectfully as your pastor. I love you, I'm for you, God's for you more than me. But I believe if, if we will learn to forgive and learn to release, I think our world will take a whole new dimension, our life. Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. Teach us this week, oh God. Bring up a name, a thought, an idea, a person. And Lord, as much as it depends upon us, give us the grace to forgive. Lord, I bless your people as they go forth this day in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Can we do that? We love you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.